Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundation and, like Judd, have served at the National Security Council as well as the U.S. State Department and Senate Foreign Relations. This podcast is everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Angola. We're joined by Zenaida Machado, the Angolan Mozambique researcher for Human Rights Watch, and a really good Twitter follow. Judd, break it down for us with a quick recap of U.S. policy towards Angola. Okay, U.S. policy towards Angola, just like with other Lusophone colonies, was trapped between two competing interests, support for Angolan independence and relationships with the NATO ally Portugal. In general, the State Department's Europe Bureau aligned with Portugal and access to the key Azores base, and that trumped the African Bureau's goal for decolonization independence. When the liberation struggled in earnest in the early 1960s, this uneasy balance continued. While U.S. diplomats initially had hardly any contact with Black Angolans or the rebel groups, other parts of the U.S. government became close with Roberto Holden and his FNLA rebel group, which was also backed by Zaire. The United States also provided support to Jonas Savimbi and UNITA, joining the South Africans against MPLA, which was aligned with the USSR and Cuba. The U.S. government opposed MPLA and feared it would provide the Soviets with a beachhead in Southern Africa. When MPLA became the government following independence in 1975, the United States didn't even recognize them and didn't assign an ambassador. At the same time, U.S. companies were starting to invest in the oil sector. As the Civil War raged on, Congress stepped in and passed the Clark Act in 1976, which prohibited U.S. support to Angolan rebels. Within months, Angola finally entered the United Nations. Under President Reagan, the United States pursued a policy known as linkage, and this was led by Assistant Secretary Chester Crocker. The idea was that if the Cubans withdrawed from Angola, then the South Africans would leave Namibia, and that would set that country towards a path of independence. Savimbi remained the darling of U.S. cold warriors who defeated the Clark Act and secured an Oval Office visit with Reagan. By 1988, however, the negotiations paid off and the key players signed the Brazzaville Protocols. The United States started to warm to MPLA, even sending Secretary of State Baker to Luanda for the country's Independence Day. U.S. government also supported negotiations between UNITA and MPLA for elections in 1992. In fact, U.S. and Soviet representatives jointly draft the agreements between the two Angolan foes. While the election was a disaster and UNITA returned to the bush, the United States finally established an embassy in 1994. Bilateral relations remained fraught and burdened by this Cold War legacy. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton tried to establish a binational commission, but it was fairly anemic. When President Dos Santos stepped down in 2017 after 38 years of power, Angolans and their U.S. counterparts saw a potential opening. The new president, Jao Lorenzo, who was leading a very high-profile anti-corruption campaign, even mentioned the United States in his inaugural address, and the Trump administration set its deputy secretary of state to engage with the Angolans. So, Danaida, I may have botched the entire history, but... Why don't you just give us a little bit of what you thought was a success or failure in this period? Let me start by saying thank you for inviting me. 
You actually were very good, Judy, in, in giving an overview of what the relationship between Angola and the U.S. is. But it's, there is one point that is very important to mention, is that despite the shortcomings during these periods, especially during the Civil War, I think uh, the U.S. has managed to hold a special place in the heart of the Angolan government and is one of the few countries that can actually hold bilateral meetings with the Angolan government and be able to diplomatically criticize what needs to be criticized and support what needs support. And, and therefore, that line of communication is always very important when it comes to advocacy, especially for issues, sensitive issues like uh, good governance and, and human rights. I mean, that sounds like that's the U.S. success, but do you want to mention a failure? A failure, I think, and uh, it's still something that is very on the minds of all Angolans, is the fact that during a long period of time, America was somehow on what Angolans would call the wrong side of history by supporting the damn rebel leader, Jonas Savimp. Having said that and noted that, one needs to agree that the, the U.S. has been very quickly at, and strategic at trying to correct that mistake and, and placing itself as a strategic partner of Angola. The other point that we might also want to consider as a, a non that good note is the fact that it's very difficult to see America criticizing Angola in public. It might be also as a result of the fact that given their past history, America wants to make sure that Angola sees it as a partner and uh, criticize where it needs to be criticized within the proper environment rather than embarrassing the Angolan government in public. Thanks. So what should be the Biden strategy towards Angola? I think continuing to hold those bilateral meetings is very important. At least has who, who, who spend the whole year fighting for changes in Angola. Hope that the American government by the end of the year, when it meets the Angolan government, will raise some of those important issues. Another one is to make sure that it continues to support Angolans' efforts to improve good governance because it needs a country that spent uh, four decades with one president that decided everything and created the chaos that it was created where a small minority enjoys uh, the wealth of the country, but a large majority, mostly youth, is still feeling uh, absent from the old decisions. I think it's important to somehow assist Angola to, to create policies that will help to have a better distribution of wealth, better governance, respect for human rights, and start having a democracy that flourishes. The other third point that I think is, it comes within the democracy that flourishes is the, the fight against corruption. I think the, the fight against corruption in Angola requires some transparency at this time, at this stage. We note the progress that have been made, but it's also important that uh, Angola shows that this fight against corruption is not directed at just one group of people that was connected to the previous president, but to everybody else who spent the past decades, including the current president's friends, who passed the past decades looting the country and uh, therefore creating the levels of poverty that we see in Angola. I think that's 
Exactly right, Zanita. So let me just quickly build on it. I do think we have an opening with Angola, something that we didn't have under President Dos Santos. And the anti-corruption focus is one of them uh, with the president going after his opponents. But you're exactly right. We have to make sure that it's an equal campaign against both his allies and his adversaries, which is a key priority for the Biden administration. I think connected to that is economic diversification. This is a country that is still largely dependent on petroleum. I think the president gets this, Lorenzo gets this, but how can we be helpful here? Two other points on foreign policy. First, the Angolans have underperformed on on peacekeeping and leading on the foreign policy realm. President Lorenzo did deploy troops to Lesotho. He has been more active, particularly on the DRC, but I think this is an opportunity to push the the Angolans to do more in peacekeeping. And then finally, Angola is in an interesting position where it has a close ties with Russia historically, very close ties with, with China. And I think it's worthwhile to explore, maybe this is a crazy idea, but to explore how it can be a go-between, give it some prestige uh, because it has relationships with everyone. But Nicole, now I've I'm going to ask you how you would make that happen if you were still at the White House. Thanks. Well, this is not the easiest of those questions. So getting the U.S., I think, to focus and re-engage on Angola is a really important challenge. And it is a challenge. I think, um, as you guys have both mentioned, the history here is both fraught, but with sort of continued signals from the Angolan government that there was interest in having real engagement. And given that we're now in this period of change, as Zanaida has pointed out, it does seem like this is the moment to see if we can wedge that door open a little bit more. When I was at the National Security Council, that was something we found to be quite tough, getting those conversations, those bilateral conversations to happen in earnest. And it does seem that along the themes of youth, democracy, equity, economic development, all pieces that you guys have talked about here, that there's a lot of shared value conversation that can happen. Specifically, you know, the U.S. government is wrestling with what its democracy and governance strategy should look like right now and continuing to plan, we believe, for the Democracy Summit. I think they're probably wrestling with how to deal with countries like Angola, where you do see an opening, but you still have really significant challenges. But I would argue that developing that relationship, given its outsized weight in terms of the economy, its ability to support peacekeeping, like Judd said, and to come in on other regional challenges, that this is really a time where we should push high-level interlocutors to talk to each other. There's a long list, as we all know, when you're the president or the vice president or the national security advisor in terms of who you should talk to, but it does feel like seeding more of the relationship now in this opening of change could pay dividends later. All right. So, Zenaida, given all of these pieces and given that this is kind of a window, do you have one big idea or a crazy idea or both that you think is worth putting on the table and that the U.S. should be considering? One good idea, maybe continue to make sure that the relationship between the two countries is a partnership and not one side dictating what the other should do. That's I know for sure and by experience that Angolans hate it. And I think if America continues to engage with Angola the way it has been, it then opens space for us activists and human rights organizations to also find a platform to raise some of our concerns. And hopefully during some of those meetings that they hold together with the Angolan government can be open to the civil society 
and allowing them to also uh, have an opportunity to raise serious concerns and suggest because Angolans better than anybody else are able to suggest what kind of changes and how they want to see those changes happening in their country. You know, sometimes the craziest idea, the biggest idea is just to treat African counterparts as equals. And I think that you you nailed it. And too often we don't do that. So quickly wrapping up, I love Angolan music. Nicole's a big fan. Zanita, just one recommendation, up and coming musician, pop star, who should we be listening to? So by up and coming, I suppose you mean those new brand new ones, right? New and fresh. Okay, I, I think I, I have the tendency of liking old style sound, but maybe let me do a mix up of a singer that has been around for some time, but he has the ability to transform himself and come up with something new. His name is Matias Damasio. And I just love him. I love the lyrics. I know many Angolans will hate what I'm saying because he's a huge support of the ruling party. <laughs> but uh, I, I just think he's a, he's a wonderful singer and his lyrics really touch me. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.